Welcome back to NALP's Young Professional Network podcast, Growing in the Green Industry. Today's podcast is powered by our Young Professional Network partner, Steel. Steel makes a full line of gasoline and battery-powered outdoor power equipment for the demanding landscape professional. Find yours at steelusa.com. Your hosts today include myself, Brett Lemke with RM Landscape. We have also Luke Melagrana with Mariani Landscape, Macy Robinson with Land Care. How are you all doing? Doing great. Hey, doing well, Brett. You? Wonderful. Wonderful. You all, no one can see it, but behind there is some flyers. I didn't realize it's in the screen, but it's my birthday today. And so. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, so I, no, one, no wonder you're at home today. Then, that's huh? it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm choosing to be very strategic about this day. And, and if I could avoid some of the little problems that go out, this is not a normal Thursday, right? So let's make this a little more special. So, so I'm glad to be on with you all today. Good fun podcast. Um, and Macy, we have a guest. Why don't you introduce our guest? We do. Yeah, absolutely. So Mark Javier is the founder of Plants Without Borders, the first global trading platform for plants. Mark studied economics at UC San Diego and worked for six years at various startups in Silicon Valley. He started Plants Without Borders in May of 2021 as a response to the global supply chain crisis. He wants to make it easy for growers and retailers in the United States to source plants from all around the world. They now have suppliers from four countries on their platform, have customers all over the United States and have facilitated more than $150,000 of transactions through their platform. That's pretty impressive. Very cool. Mark, is there anything I missed? Uh, No, that seems uh, pretty comprehensive. Thank you for that intro. Yeah, that's really impressive. My first thing, whenever I saw May of 21, I was like, oh, what a perfect time. Continue to read bio. I'm like, yep, that was very strategic. Well, and we have uh, a lot of, you know, different parts of this conversation. We have a startup, we have a technology business, we have a horticulture, you know, demand. And so uh, we could come at a lot of different angles and I imagine we'll hit a lot of it, but what, uh, what drew you to this? I mean, what, what was the attraction to, to start Plant Without Borders? So my girlfriend was the one that was, you know, really into plants, especially the rare kind of plants. And she introduced me to one of these Facebook groups where people are buying plants directly from small farmers, like all over the world. And a lot of these purchases didn't go well for one reason or another. And because I had experience working at a cryptocurrency exchange, I thought, why don't I apply that same sort of uh, structure and the formality to plants instead of cryptocurrencies. And when I saw the uh, supply chain crisis really impacting retailers as well as the farmers, um, I saw an opportunity to, to enact change. So walk us through what Plant Without Borders does. So we're an online marketplace where farmers in different countries around the world can list their inventory and we provide services to them as well, which can include outbound sales as a service and as well as information like data or any sort of market research they might wanna know about the other markets in the United States. And you're targeting, connecting them with retailers, wholesalers, not the individual, like just end user folks or no, staying a little bit larger connections. We started off with the end users, but we're now removing more up market to serve a business to business. What kind of, um, <clears throat> what are the, I mean, are you selling primarily house plants, 
what what are you what are you normally what's like the the common type of plant material you're selling or connecting your users with end users with yeah so we started off with the more rare indoor house plants and now we're starting to go into the more general common commodity plants and eventually we'll have every type of plant that's on that fits under ornamentals um, on the platform and eventually outdoor plants as well. Uh, my, we were looking up the prop, uh, the website and my wife was looking at it and she's become a high infinity for interiors these days, plant material. And so the house is just getting full. And so she saw your website and it's like, Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. And so, um, she was excited. Like, well, what's, what's going on here? I'm like, honey, I'll, I'll, we have to learn some more. I'll talk more after the podcast, but, uh, some really creative plant material on the website. And, and I think there's a strong movement, um, in this interior plant escape. I mean, it's just becoming more and more, uh, real and bringing a lot of hobbyists in. So you think the retailers and wholesalers need these, need these plants. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it has a lot of commercial applications as well. Like not just personal, it's, you know, hotels, hospitality, um, offices. Uh, there's a lot of room to, to grow. Especially the production space for houseplants. Like, I mean, a lot of plants need to start out in the nursery, but being able to get these out into wholesale nurseries using your platform. And so growers know, you know, they can get, you know, after three weeks, get something pushed out and keep producing it somewhere else. It allows for even more houseplants and of these interior plants to take action. Yeah, uh, you bring up a good point. I think um, how it's done now is typically a seedling is brought in and then grown for three to six months, but we could potentially bring in a pre-finished plant that's done in 30 days and one greenhouse could continuously pump out finished product uh, like month over month and that's another approach that, you know, we're, we're trying to encourage with our platform as well. AC, do you, does Landcare do interior work or are you all stay exterior? I'll stay exterior. I like to say that I can keep million dollar landscapes alive, me personally, but I can't keep a house plan alive. Um, not my forte. So props to your wife uh, for her interest and her desire. I, it makes me sad. I cannot keep the interior plant alive. Yeah, they're uh, they're finicky. There, you know, there's the corner of the house. It's like the dead zone. It's where we want a plant, but you just nothing will live in that space, right? And so, um, and 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 I, and I will use our local garden centers, and we'll see that the interior spaces are growing tremendously. Um, there, you know, I think Luke, your point, like we use nursery stock all the time, right? And so, you know, when you a boxwood and the hydrangeas and the roses, like those things are coming out in in our like I think our industry more prevalent. But then we have a strong contingent of um, growers, um, and, um, and, and contractors that are doing interior work and, and to be able to supply that piece. And we've, we've all seen the strains with material these days. And so I think connecting to, to that and what, what, what part of the world are you pulling plant material from? It's mainly Southeast Asia and South America. Yeah. And those are the popular areas. I mean, that's a prevail, like prevalent growing area, or is that just some new emerging uh, farms? Well, the, the climate's very tropical there. And a lot of these rare plants, uh, you know, rare plants, they grow in these regions. And, um, you know, no one has really created an easy way to get access to those plants. And especially for a lot of these garden centers, 
that um, that need these you know high margin items uh, they don't have access to it you know they don't have logistics teams or global sourcing and we're really democratizing that for mom and pops you're handling like the importation and just their plants or living items like getting these things keeping them like I you know we keep our house really cold I think that's why and we don't have a humidifier I think that's why we can't keep house plants alive in my house but like the transportation of these things coming from across the world like how's your process in that well we work with different logistics providers and it's definitely not easy uh, there's the compliance aspect you have to follow all the rules and then there's the perishables aspect where you know it's going to die if you don't make it there and we work with uh, logistics providers that already have experience there's lots of flowers that come in from south america you know we use those same logistics providers and there's already a, a process for it but it, you know it's definitely a work in progress especially when you're working with more of the small farmers in different parts of the world Are these farmers, uh, I'm curious, like if you're creating, are these farmers been working uh, with overseas and have, are doing this or are you opening up doors and opportunities for them that they've never had before? Yeah, so there's two groups of farmers. You know, there's this, the scale of them. There's a the smallholder farmers and the more established agribusinesses. And then there's agribusinesses that aren't exporting and those that are. So we've basically created a list of ones that are exporting and we've chosen to target them first to recruit them. And then after that, we're going to open up the opportunity for the ones that aren't exporting. Well, I'm, have you had to make the site visits down there? Is that part of it or is, is that, because uh, I think we're all very willing to go with you to, I'll go to <laughs> South America and check out the plant. I, I can't say I can identify interiors. And, and, and Mark, you, you know, it sounds like you're more technology, but you know, no interior plants. Latin name, common name, you can and you can nail it or no? Well, I'm I'm pretty good at it, I guess. Um, but uh, there's hundreds of different plants, and you know it's too much for any one person to to remember. But I was actually in Guatemala a couple of weeks ago. Their uh, association of exporters had invited me down there to meet the ornamental plant growers, and that was just a huge opportunity to actually get some face time with the more established businesses. And they're dealing with the same pain points as smaller farmers in other parts of the world. So that gave me more validation in terms of my product and the service and then the need that it was serving. Yeah. I would definitely be, definitely be interested. I'm on the website right now. Ooh, Thailand. I'm going on that trip and look at some plants. That's it. You know, strategic, strategically designed. <laughs> yeah, good vacation. The, uh, I mean, where is, and, and, and I suppose in those kind of plant material, where is the U.S. from growing, a growing standpoint? Are, are you, is it it's strategic to be, to go outside the U.S. What versus using growers here in the States? Yeah, and that's a really interesting question. Most of the tropical foliage or indoor house plants, they start as smaller plants, um, originally, right? They, they come in as starter plants and they're planted and then grown to a full size. So we basically uh, reduce the cost of raw materials for the entire green industry 
by allowing the flow of raw materials or starter plants to increase into the United States. So whether that's growers, we can help them grow faster and for less expenses, or it's a retailer that you know, wants um, plants that they can grow themselves as well. So to answer your question, um, most of the plants are grown in Florida and they all need starter material to, to accelerate their growing process and lower their costs. And that's our target customer actually. Okay, so you guys are you guys are trying to supply the the growers who companies probably such as Brett and I are buying material from uh, Macy uh, as well. You know, trying to buy material from uh, that we traditionally market as annuals in in the United States, uh, or at least you know I'm in the northern portion. Brett, he's you know kind of northeast, so a lot of these tropical tropical plant material is you know, considered more of an annual. And so, um, yeah. so you're, you're supplying the growers with the, and making it available for them to be able to grow these different types of, different types of tropical plants. Yes. And it's interesting that the capability to source globally is limited to just a few in the industry from what I've seen. And these are the huge, like large scale growers and greenhouse operators, whereas uh, the more mid to small size growers, they don't have the same access to the same raw materials and they're forced to bear the cost of inflation and uh, supply shortages as well. And that's the, the pain point that we were solving. So, you know, it goes back to the technology and your experience in startups and, you know, there's lots of things to choose from, right? And you curious that you've been in the crypto world and all those pieces but so that just started from that general interest and that curiosity of this space but i've got to think there's a million other curiosities out there but so really why why this one or what really connected you to this so my family is from the philippines and around that same time where i was learning about the plant space and the whole supply chain disruptions um, i saw how much a pineapple grower would get paid for growing a pineapple versus how much it was sold in the United States. And when I saw that, I became more motivated to essentially create a new supply chain that one is more accessible by small businesses here in the United States, but also by small farmers abroad. Yeah, it's a it's a world that I, you know, I can't say I've experience enough, but we know that agriculture and the strain of the farmers go through uh, is tremendous, and especially right now. Um, and so that I could see a really big personal uh, attachment to that. And we see a lot of our horticulture programs, which are struggling from the ornamental landscapes of it, but they're seeing great more, a great deal more interest in the food sciences and how to be more engaged in how we grow our food and produce and where it comes from. Um, so that um, I'm excited that there's, a, you know, we could get to merge the technologies with it and support farmers that maybe not have any interest or awareness of how to, how to, how to reach out further in deeper places. So, um, so what is the goal? What, what, what do you see and hope that uh, Plants Without Borders becomes? So basically, whether you're a retailer or a grower in the United States, uh, you'd be able to go to Plants Without Borders and say, I want XYZ plant. These are the conditions that I'm um, growing in. You know, this is my time horizon as far as the harvest. 
and I want to see what I have available to me and what prices I think I can get for it once it's a fully mature plant. Uh, that way you're using uh, just basically information to give a grower in the United States the capability to reduce the risk of unsold inventory or of supply shortages. So continuous visibility into the supply chain while also market information that allows them to predict what will sell and uh, prevent oversupply. So Mark, um, what is, I saw on your website and I'm, uh, I, I don't have it open here anymore, but um, you had mentioned some guarantees uh, or, or there's a section on guarantees. I didn't get fully to read it. What kind of, you know, you're bringing in live plant material. You're bringing in it, you know, across international borders. What, uh, what kind of guarantee does a, does a, does your end user have that what they're buying is going to be viable? It's going to be alive. It's going to show up as it should and that they're going to be able to utilize that, that material and, in whatever capacity that they're looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, the first point about that is our platform is different than, than how traditional brokers operate in this space. Uh, traditional brokers, they facilitate transactions between buyers and sellers, but they don't allow generally communication between the buyer and the seller. So if the buyer has questions about the plant or how to grow it, uh, they're not able to ask directly to the grower uh, overseas that you know, may have information that could help them. So to reduce the risk of any spoilage or anything that goes wrong, we allow that communication um, as well as allow the buyer to purchase a, a warranty on the plant. So if they purchase the warranty plan, there's a guarantee that it'll arrive up to certain conditions and that's size and quality. So if it doesn't come in the right quality, then they're entitled to a refund or a replacement. Uh, but if they don't purchase the warranty, then it comes in as is. What's the, um, uh, what, what, I mean, what kind of, what size of material are you traditionally selling? I mean, is it trays of, pl of plugs? Is it gallons? Is it large stuff, small stuff? I mean, you're typically selling what, like cuttings for for growers or are you selling full size? Can I buy a plant from there? Uh, or I'm assuming there's a minimum quantity of plant material that we need to buy uh, if you're shipping it that far. I mean, are you able to get big stuff? Is it only small stuff? What's, what's that like? Uh, we've sold up to like a full-size bare root plant uh, all the way down to stage four tissue culture. And so that, um, so I'm going to, I want to dig into the, the, the technology or the, how do you build a startup, right? And so we have, I think we have a number of listeners that will say that they either have an idea and how do you generate and build an idea out? Um, even maybe it may be similar to how to do growing and, and connect this, but beyond that, it's, what has the process been for you uh, to build this startup company? And how do you really get it to develop to the point you are now? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I would say it's all about product market fit. 
and what that's going to look like one to three to five years from now. When I first started this, people asked me, why don't you just buy plants, grow them in your room, and then sell them on the internet? And then I thought to myself, well, there's already small businesses doing that, and there's already a bunch of people on uh, social media doing that. And I've been through a bubble before in cryptocurrency, and I, I don't think that that's actually a sustainable idea, and it doesn't help the small farmers either. So I decided to do what I'm doing now, which didn't really make sense to a lot of people back then. So I would say, one, you have to um, have some sort of in-depth knowledge about the startup that you're creating and I guess a unique angle that you're approaching it from, uh, be able to anticipate what the market will look like up, you know, three, five years down the road, and then be able to execute on that while everybody else will think it's not viable, essentially. And it's, uh, if you're able to do that, and I think you're on the right step. It, it, the, the world of convincing, right? It, it's a, it's like a lot of conversations and helping people see your vision uh, through further. And and so you, uh, you, where do you have to find help? I mean, there, there's obviously a path through this that you need to find money and need to keep funding that piece. Like that's probably a pretty critical part. Um, and then what other, what other help are you looking for as you develop the company? Well, you know, getting funding is extremely difficult. And, you know, if it's too easy, then you have to ask, you know, why they're giving you the money and what it might look like for you down the road. Uh, but I had a couple of, you know, friends and family investors, like just under $50,000. But, you know, it's gotten us to this point. Um, but we still can't afford like a full-time employee, like W-2 in the United States. Like that's just out of the question, right? And basically I went on to Fiverr and recruited virtual assistants and, you know, trained them to be like customer success managers uh, sales development representatives, and it's worked pretty well so far, I'd say, uh, but it's definitely not easy. I got to look up that website. Maybe I could start looking for a few folks. Even though <laughs> We've got lots of W2 team members between what Luke's company is and yeah. ours, but, uh, but, that, but there's obviously resources and ways to, to pull things together that aren't your traditional Right, because of the cost. You, to your point, that that to build staff has cost, and to sustain that when you're not at those levels yet, you gotta just find resources outside it. And so with yeah. with oh, go, go ahead. I was I was just gonna say, um, um, yes, you should look into it. It's it's a great place to to find uh, extra help, and they could augment the experience of your your current workforce, make you know a lot of things easier for them, and improve their. Uh, just general, I guess, happiness, right? By reducing the workload of redundant stuff and stuff that could be done on the computer. Like there's a lot of opportunities. So do you have, um, you know, I mean, you obviously don't have like a full-time staff that's working for you. Who are the individuals, you know, whether they're, they're here uh, in the U.S. or they are in, uh, the, the countries you are procuring the, this plant material from, 
you know, who are the, the, the local and resident experts on getting you in contact and making those introductions to to the, the retailers around here, the growers or the farmers uh, in these areas. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have to have some sort of like a supplier or something along those lines that that's that's helping navigate those waters for you. So in the United States, it's it's generally me who's spearheading the sales and marketing effort. And, you know, we do have support from uh, our employees in Southeast Asia and in South America. Um, in Southeast Asia, we have one team member. Her name is Anna Domingo. Uh, she used to work at McDonald's before this. Uh, now she's basically managing that region, including recruiting suppliers, as well as doing some prospecting in the United States. And in Venezuela, uh, my employee, Carlos Dofort, he used to work in like airlines and I recruited him on Fiverr and he helped coordinate that meeting in Guatemala with the Agriculture Export Association. So, you know, one year later, you know, we were already doing really cool things together and it's been an amazing journey. I'm curious the development of those those team members. Um, you know, just their backgrounds weren't anything in there. Even your idea was developing. How did you get them to the point where they're they're having that kind of success early on here? Yeah, and um, something I heard recently was that you know in tough hiring environments you hire for attitude and then train to the capability and the skill. And yeah, it, it wasn't easy. Like it, it took a long time. Um, and uh, there's still a lot of room for improvement, but basically having the grit and the determination to move forward, basically will it into existence is what I had to do. Yeah. So what, what are you, yeah. what are you, what are you training them on? Are you training them on the, the sales side of things? Are you training them on learning about plant material? Like what are you, what's kind of like, Who's the, who's that candidate, and what are what's like the ideal candidate for you uh, within these positions? Yeah, so they're they're generally like the the roles that they're playing is generally um, like recruiting and customer success, meaning that they are reaching out to potential suppliers, evaluating them, and then um, onboarding them if they're a good fit, and then keeping them happy um, as time goes on. So, you know, I look at it as a, just a customer service role, customer service oriented. And um, I think that I don't have like a solid playbook or anything like that uh, methodology, uh, but hopefully, you know, we can come out with something down the road. I think that I'm going to be on that panel next month at Cultivate and I really do want to kind of write about the experience in a way that I could share with people in a sort of structured fashion, because I think there's a lot of opportunity in other industries to approach it with that mindset as well. Yeah. The, the playbook, you know, probably never exists. Right. And so, and if there was one, I'd have bought it many times over and tried to memorize the thing, but it, it's about uh, the connection to the people you make and the company you're here and what you're doing. So that, that, you know, it's that culture piece that you'll be creating along the way. And, um, it's easy when you're by yourself, right. You're only accountable. Then you, and you spread it out to other team members. It just becomes more and more of the challenge. So, um, 
Luke and I know it very well, right? To, to, to get a team to produce the results, the effort to be putting in every day. Uh, that's the grind. Um, yeah. And uh, I can imagine building software and that part's like, I mean, and for us, it's like, I could make that proposal. I could sit in front of the computer, but as soon as you got to start talking about team members and this thing gets a little bit more difficult. And then, uh, and that's where we all share the same common piece about building and growing business. You said that once you build a proposal, it gets more difficult or? Well, it's just the, the, you know, when you work on the computer or those things that, you know, when you're holding yourself accountable, those are, those are the easy tasks um, or easier than having a team, you know, go out and produce a really good job day in, day out, knowing it to what the customer wants and transitioning. So the, the layers get deeper and deeper, uh, especially as the team grows. So, you know, we're going to watch Plant Without Borders is going to grow infinitely, right? Up, you know, in the optimistic yes. way, right? No doubt. Um, and, uh, and you'll have many people across the world which has got, you know, right there, it is like mind blowing, right? Luke and I, we, we got crews that are just about 20 miles away from us right now. And that's a challenge to, to manage and, and hold on to. So you'll have them in different parts of the country. Um, and so that uh, you, you ha- you'll have a lot of effort uh, applied to that. And so, um, but many people have done it, right? This isn't new, right? Global companies, yeah. national companies in our world. Uh, there's there's process in place, so you at cultivate you'll hopefully right as much as you share. They'll uh, that's a great event, and you'll you'll learn quite a bit from going there to that too. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you like, um, you know, do you you guys are managing teams that are um, on the job, and is it like throughout the entire day you have to stay in communication with them, or how does that work, or is there an end time where like, you know, everyone's done and the job is done. Go ahead, Luke. How's your day going so far? <laughs> um, it's gone. Uh, no, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, I, I think it, it depends on what your role is within the organization. And so, um, you know, like, I, I, yeah, I'm involved with overseeing and helping manage crews. I'm not out with them all day long, um, but I go see them. I stop in and see what's what's happening and make sure that they're executing the work in the proper fashion and the, to the degree of uh, standard that we expect and that we're, we're meeting what the client's expectations are on sites. And so, um, you know, it doesn't stop yet. It stops at some point um, when they come in at the end of the day, but then it usually continues into the night and there's always things happening. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we're, you know, you're, you're managing, you're managing teams and, uh, out in, out in the field. Um, well, the, and- the, the big part is, is levels of trust. And so when you have good team members out there, right, Luke, you and I probably both have crews that will go and produce work and you need to be very little touch points. Um, and they just understand the scope responsibilities, qualities, and they'll get it. And then there's those that are developing and you'll be spending more time with them or helping them with other like new crew members that are on the team. And so it, I have a crew that's retiring um, or the, the lead person's retiring. It's a husband and wife team. They're retiring this week. And so 11 years of them working on a crew, like there's a lot of trust and very little needs to communicate. Going to a new crew now is very, uh, you know, probably been a year with us, but has been training under them and, and they can go on their own and they're, and it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the same, it, but it will, uh, you know, we'll work, work through it. So um, you'll have, as you, with your two team members out there doing the work and, 
you know, I can only imagine time zones. Right. So you, uh, yeah. when you want to sleep there, like, Hey, let's, let's get some stuff done. So that's, <laughs> a, we're all in the same time zones as our team members. So that, that becomes a piece of it, but, um, yeah, it is, uh, it is, a, it's the biggest part of it is the people and, you know, your company is going to grow not by the marketing, but it's going to be by the messaging that your people share the work they produce. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that, um, having that level of trust, you know, I've never met these team members in person. Like it's yeah. crazy, yeah. but um, you get to a point where, you know, you understand what they will do and um, you believe that they'll do it. And I think it takes time to even get to that point. So when I initially hired them, like you don't know how it's going to turn out. Right. And that's the no. big oh. risk. And yeah. you know, having a solid team member, in those regions is one thing, but can you trust them? That's the second. I mean, that's that's every one of us. Yeah, hire yep. somebody new, and can you trust them or not? So well, the, the the saying that we follow is you, you got to trust but verify, and yeah. and and that is nothing about the person, you know, us over, you know, micromanaging, but it is to be clear. And the way you have to verify, Mark, is way different than the way we have to. Um, but I got to think, you know, and, and I'm curious, you know, I'm going to explore, you said it's Fiverr, you said was the, the group and, but even the, the idea of virtual assistance and, and connectivity in just staying in a virtual space, we're way more in tune with that than we were five, three, two years ago. And so, yeah. you know, a zoom call and, you know, the necessity and the ability to meet with somebody across the world, uh, is hard. And so, you know, uh, a lot can get accomplished. But if you said this to, to Luke and I, right, hey, I'll give you a virtual assistant that's not near you uh, and help you with all these things like, you know, before COVID, like I, I can't figure even how to think that through. But now it's like, I could see that. And, and, and it's curious. And what would you say, um, I guess, to, to people in your industry that may be hesitant about adopting new technology enabled practices or using new software? Uh, what I've experienced is that you know, some people might think that they need to be like an expert or they have these um, preconceived notions of, you know, what using that tool or using that new approach might entail. Um, is that something that you've encountered? And if so, you know, have you seen that address? I think it, I think it depends on, on who it is, who's going to adapt that technology. I mean, the younger generations that are, you know, taking over, uh, businesses and, and and running things are going to be more i think open-minded i mean i think brett's probably a a, a prime example uh, you know taking over a family business and working his way up and i mean i think he's even shared it before on here sometimes him and him and his dad and things like that they have different ideas and and uh, and how to to adapt certain practices certain technologies things like that i mean there's always the room and opportunity for it um I think it just, you know, it's just going to depend if it makes sense and fits what, what the business's needs are at the time. So um, I think there's a lot of great technologies out there that can help benefit certain, certain businesses. Um, there's technologies out there that probably don't apply to certain businesses. So um, I think it just depends and you have to keep an open mind and, and, and proceed forward with it we push a lot of emphasis on um, and, and, and in these conversation was listen to your team 
right? As the team is changing and evolving the work, you know, our, our, our staffs are, um, are coming from a lot of different perspectives. Again, it's experience in this industry and outside. And so be open-minded to those. And I would say that, our, you know, maybe not unique, but our industry is a long-standing industry and there's a lot of traditional thought in, in our space. And this is how you manage a landscape business. And that doesn't change that often, but what, you know, this conversation with you and, and, um, and, you know, we have another host, Neil, like, we're talking a lot about how it's evolving and, but it's evolved a lot faster when you listen to or tr let your team uh, try different things. And that's could because they're new and inexperienced with it. And they'll always ask questions. It could, it's just being open to different ideas um, and, uh, and, and seeing what, what can develop. And so there's companies that embrace that thought really well. And then there's companies that, that just can't, and, and they'll, somebody will be left behind in that space. And, you know, Luke's company, I, I think it comes, at least from my perspective, the outside, you're getting lots of different ideas and you have passion leadership and you have eager uh, people that have joined the company. And that combination has probably led you to some really good, cool projects or, or path to success. So you'll have to mark, really work hard to promote your team and then listen to their ideas. And right. So even if their experience was an airport and fast food business, they they've got perspectives that, that you don't have. And, and obviously they're going to be much more connected locally to your, yeah. to those people. And like that's be a big amount of trust uh, that, that they know how to connect with the people in their spaces. Yeah. And is there um, any particular technology that you're excited about, Brett? That you know, no, I, I, I'll say I'm on the, like, someone needs to bring it to me category. I'm not the one that drives the technology in our company. Uh, I, I'm always very, I'm very curious about it. And, you know, even in this conversation, again, pushing out resources to the world and say, how can you help us virtual assistants? Like I, I've heard it. I've, I've chatted with folks about it, but we've never really tried it. And, um, and so there's, I mean, it's, we all have enterprise software that helps us run and manage our work tickets and our jobs and keeps our crews moving and, and it keeps all that data collected. That's very helpful for us, but there is, there's tremendous pieces out there. Uh, I'll say I'm not the first person to be really tech into it, but I will, uh, I'll always be listening to what the team comes up with. Um, and so it, you know, how do you, as you plant without borders grows within to like say our world and the, that ornamental space and, and how do you connect with peers in our group? Like that would be uh um, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching. I will, Luke, we'll get to say that we were with Mark when this thing was launching big and when it becomes this global domination of plant material. So exactly. this is, exactly. you heard it first here on Growing in the Green Industry. That's the cool thing. So, so I'm curious when you, when you go to a new client and you're conceptualizing what their, their lawn or et cetera would look like, um, how do you make that decision do you start with the plant material you have available and then give the client something that is a combination of that? Or do you uh, start with the design and then source the material? What have you been seeing, Luke, with the projects that are coming through these days? I mean, uh, you've got a big, um, big architect team. I think it's, it's definitely a mixture of both. Um, I think we all, I would say we lean more heavily towards we create the design and then source material, spec material after that. A lot of things we do start from a concept and then they progress further and further to, uh, you know, an actual more specific construction set of drawings, things like that. And that's typically where we start to call out 
you know, this type of tree, this type of paving material, this grouping of perennials, things like that. We don't, very rarely, I think, do we say, okay, hey, like we need a big special oak tree right here and then design all around that. It, it typically doesn't work like that. Um, but but here and there, um, you know, our, our sourcing process though works, um, you know, when, once we figure something out, then we will, once we create that design, then we will say, okay, yeah, we want like this shade tree here. It'll look really cool if it's a, if it's an oak, if it's a maple, if it's, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. And then we'll go around and we'll try and find the exact plant that's going to make sense for that location. Certainly the, um, the, the, the challenges are real right now for plant material. A lot of opportunities we'll give our landscape architects will we bid on projects um, and they'll say, well, is this available? And so I, I think at the, there's a responsibility at the design level to be aware of what is available and how, and I think the good ones keep a pulse on that. Um, but then we find ourselves substituting a lot because of size, availabilities, quantities, type, uh, more these last couple of years. Um, the, you know, the quotes these days are, that are coming in are saying, you know, I can only hold this for X amount of time. Um, I can, I have to source, you know, our, you know, green giant arborvitaes at six foot from five different people rather than just the one that we used to. Um, and so it is, uh, it is uniquely different and plant materials, live goods are the same as just those hard goods with us are all very, very much a challenge, but you hope that they're, that's those that are creating the landscapes are being aware of what is available uh, and not making it too your life too difficult to chase down difficult or hard to find. Um, but th then you get the client request. I want that purple plant that, you know, is the hardest things from South America. And you're like, okay, well, here's what it's going to take to find that or get that kind of piece. So um, yeah, very, very challenging. Um, when we mix with Luke's in the, in the design build world, I'm in the design build world. It's a, it's a much more um, connected part to our suppliers and awareness versus, you know, the architect world where it's all, it could stay very conceptual for a while and say, build, create to some level. Yeah. I mean, we, teams or companies and, and organizations that are very heavy into the DB world, they have to have people who specialize in, you know, plant procurement and, and things like that and who have a good finger, uh, have their have a finger on the pulse of what is happening what's available out there from from suppliers brokers things like that I and mean, we work with a combination of all of them we we work directly with some suppliers and some nurseries and then we we go to through brokers who find us plant material across the country and we have a team of you know three or four plant buyers who their job is to go around to various nurseries see plant material, ensure that it meets the specifications of what our design team is looking for, photograph it, tag it if they like it. And I mean, they can be traveling around Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, going out to the Carolinas, uh, wherever. I mean, wherever we can find uh, the plant material we're looking for and the sizes that we're looking for. I mean, what what's kind of unique about us um, we do a lot of big, 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 big material, like instant landscapes. And so there isn't a lot of suppliers in, in the Chicago area that have, you know, a 20 foot white pine or 25 foot white pine. And we may have to go down to Alabama for it or, or wherever to be able to source 20 of them for a house. I mean, that's, that's the challenges we face.
very cool projects happening out there. And, uh, and certainly Mark, you getting connected with the worlds that we're in. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of commonalities, but then you know, your unique approach to the type of plant material, to the way it's going to be found and that supporting of the farmer, um, I think is, uh, is going to be really, uh, excited to see what, how that all connects and just being, you know, I imagine a lot about awareness about plants without borders, getting everybody to hear about it, talk about it and create that buzz is probably a really important part of your, your business right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's recruiting not only the suppliers in different parts of the world, but also spreading awareness of the availability of that inventory to the growers and retailers here in the United States. It's two sided market, and you know it's not easy. But no, no. But you, you that that story. I think the the best stories are where you are helping those um, build, you know, their farms, build their families and, and all over the world. And then, but then finding things that are making it easier, more reliable, you know, and, and certainly where there's a cost opportunity to save in these days is you put those together, then it gives everybody the right feeling to, to do business that way. Yeah. And I'm curious, have you guys gotten requests for like living walls or any of that indoor outdoor type of stuff? You know, uh, we've had some guests, uh, some other guests that have do a lot of that, right? Uh, Dennis 7Ds up in Oregon there is a, been a, is a pretty uh, popular. Uh, they do a lot of interior, exterior, and work with that kind of plant material. I've done a little bit of it, I suppose, here and there. I don't know about you, Luke, but we've, you know, it's, um, again, I think, right, we stick with the outside and everything snows and gets negative degrees for both of us. So it's just like, there's just nothing that is happy out there. So um but yeah, there's there's a lot of cool landscapes coming out now. A lot of cool landscape architects that are producing some just amazing, amazing work. And uh, and so seeing that they have access to your kind of plant material or does the supply chain for the, the nursery and uh, business and growers get better over the next few years will be really, really important for all of us to watch. And uh, does what's the turnaround time typically when you tell a client this is what it's going to look like and then how how much time do you have to source those plants typically? Um, you, you, you work on projects for years, right? Yeah, and you probably I mean, can get do, things done in do, days. <laughs> we do project. I mean, for us, if things are running hundred percent smoothly, which they're not like, <laughs> yeah, just because of, that just because of the, the supply chain issues, supply, you know, supplier issues and material availability, things like that. Um, you know, we used to always kind of say from when a job was sold, if it's something quick, simple and easy, a couple boxwoods, a couple perennials, whatever the case may be, we always kind of said about two weeks. That allows us time to source material, get it in, get it staged, get it ready and out the door. Um, right now, I'd say we're probably leaning more towards like the three to four week. And part of that is just backlog on, you know, the work side of things, not just being um not just supplier or uh anything like that issues but um yeah i mean like brad said we work on projects that take multiple years to build uh just to do the landscaping so we're uh, you know it could be for a big design project it could be a year of just doing designs and revisions and things like that and you know we're probably designing projects right now that we won't start installing until summer of 2023. So, and that's that's not necessarily supplier issues. That's just we're doing 
multi-acre estates. We're doing big projects that take a lot of time. There's a lot of moving pieces in it with other vendors and uh, other service providers and things of that nature. So it takes, takes some time. So it's important to make those connections uh, and, and have the resources. And, and again, I think what Plants Without Borders is going to start offering a lot of cool resources for uh, our industry, for the growing industry. And, uh, and so how about a plug, Mark? So you're at Cultivate. When is Cultivate? That is July, uh, I think, 17 to 19. I can uh, double check. And uh, you'll be in your speaking there, are you? Yes, on a uh, management clinic panel it's about the war for talent oh it is a war um well we wish you all the luck with that let's uh we're gonna wrap up here and um and we're gonna do we end up with a rose and thorn so the segment is simply just what's going well in your world uh and what is that thorn in your side and some people don't have thorns maybe we all don't right but mark what's uh what's your rose and thorn this week well um what's going well is that you know, our messaging is being received well from the growers that we've recently met with in South America. And it's really exciting to be able to offer something of value to them that they're excited about. Like, that's really cool. And one of the hard things about that is, uh, as a startup, we don't have a, a playbook for onboarding and training and management and we're scaling very quickly. And uh, there's a lot of growing pains associated with that. And especially the whole training and onboarding part is very difficult when you're not uh, in person. Like I remember uh, my first job here in San Francisco, you know, it was basically like you had a cohort of people all fresh out of college, we all hang out the whole time. Then you go to the bar after work, like there's none of that. So it's really difficult to build that community and that camaraderie, but we're figuring it out. There you go. That's, that's the right thinking that you need to have as a leader, right? It's, it's tough, but we'll figure it out, right? We'll get the plan. How about you, Luke? What's going on in your world? Oh, uh, I mean, there's a lot. But uh, last week we wrapped up our big push for uh, – summer flowers this year and we still got some some lingering ones but uh but we're all done and we ended it on an awesome note uh by loading up the most amount of crews and trucks we ever have in our company's history in about an hour and a half on saturday so um giant team effort um from the greenhouse to the production team to the crew staff everywhere so that was awesome um and we got some much needed rain. We've been kind of in a little bit of a, a little bit of a dry spell over the past few months, past month or so, I would say. Um, so that's been really, really nice. Um, got out and played some golf over the weekend, which was fun. And uh, it's probably been the first time in like six and a half, seven months or so. And uh, was a little nervous on the driving range and was uh, was looking like tin cup out there for a minute, just shanking them left and right, but. It all came together on the golf course, which is where it mattered. So, um, 
you're ready for the Saudi tour now, aren't you? You're going yeah, right exactly. To yeah, yeah, forget yeah. the PGA. Wait, you just go just right wait, to the big waiting one. Waiting for my invitation from yeah. the Live Tour. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a couple million. I'll take a couple million. Yeah, a couple million. Even if you come in last place, apparently you win a lot of money. So you're yeah, fine. Yeah, you still win. Like you, a, you, you, yeah. the last tournament was like 120 grand if you took last place. I mean, I could totally get in last place. I totally <laughs> could get. I could totally get that spot. Yeah, yeah. So. uh Thorns, nothing, nothing really. I mean, it's been hotter than hotter than hell lately. But uh, I'm just gonna record. Just... Obviously, this is recorded, so I'm gonna make clear that this year you're saying, "Oh, I'm glad rain showed up," because next year you're gonna say, "Why is it constantly raining? It's kicking our butt." And so <laughs> we never are happy with weather uh, in no, our business. No, so no, you're never uh, happy no. I mean, the, the heat though, the heat. I mean, that's just. I mean, it was like 101 degrees yesterday. Yikes. That's Yikes. that's yeah. a little brutal. So. What about you, Brett? What do you got? I, you know, all all big thorn. Uh, I mean, well, no, ha, birthday today, not a thorn. It's a rose. So I'm going to just run with it. It's an exciting day. We, you know, my birthday always falls within Father's Day, and so we've got three kids that are ready to make my weekend. So they they say I'm, I'm not holding my breath, right? But I'm going to embrace birthday, Father's Day weekend here, uh, and have some fun. And and I think it's just we had our first exhale wasn't a deep one within the business, but we got through Memorial Day and we're on our way to 4th of July and we look like we're going to be okay getting to that. And those are going to be just these moments where the rush is coming down, the work's there, clients are happy, you know, are getting happier, we're getting a lot done, right? And so we're, um, we're, we're always something to fight for, but, um, but everybody's starting to see what the summer could be. And so um, a lot of optimism, a lot of work ahead, but that's nothing different than the, and we, this past week, uh, this week, 49 years of business, my father started oh. it and we did a little celebration yesterday and uh, so excited about what's coming there too. Well, uh, thank the, you, Mark. The big one, the big one is next year. The big one's next year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, we're going to lots of balloons or something. Um, so thanks, Mark, for coming on. You, you know, we wish you all the best with your company and and, and how you're, you're solving, I think, the world's problem. So that's a that's really exciting to see. Um, and best of luck there. Uh, good to see you, Luke. We lost Macy somewhere in the middle of this because a little pesky Wi-Fi. But we wish her the, a good rest of the day. <laughs> to our listeners, thank you all. Have a great weekend. Enjoy, uh, enjoy whatever the weekend can bring you. And uh, please uh, continue to listen. And we look forward to our, our next time together. You all have a good day. Yeah, take care. Bye, take Thanks. care. Thank you.